0: Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your co-hosts are Pastor Steve Macias and Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor.
1: Welcome to another edition of the Out of the Question podcast. Today is August 30th, 2019. And I'm glad that my co-host Steve Macias is back from a short time of rest and relaxation. Hi, Steve.
0: Hi, hey, Andrea. It's good to be back with you.
1: Now, today's question actually sprung from the fact that Steve did have this time of R and R, and he ended up going points south, and he spent a little bit of time at an amusement park, which got us thinking: Is amusement? a biblical concept? And that's our question for today. So Steve, I'll
0: let you take a stab at this first. Well, there's a couple of different words that we're getting into here when we say amusement park, because when we think of amusement park, we probably think of one of the more famous ones like Disneyland or Disney World. And there's this idea that these are places of happiness or joy. In fact, I think Disneyland has the catchphrase that they're the happiest place on earth or universal studios has this entertainment capital of california and there's this idea that you can go somewhere exchange money for amusement you can put yourself on a ride recreate a movie experience and that there is a joy that comes from this which is in my opinion very different than the ancient christian way of thinking about joy And rest and happiness and amusement. You know, there's a great quote by St. Augustine. This is St. Augustine of Hippo, who says that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in the Lord. And so we have to wonder if this is the paradigm which we judge what rest is. Can we go to find this rest in movies and theme parks and roller coasters, or are we chasing after something that will never really give us rest or relaxation?
1: And I think there's a lot of words here that would be a good thing to define and identify. Are they really synonyms or are there something different? So we have the words amusement, entertainment, diversion, recreation, and rest. And are they all the same thing? Could they all be the same thing? And then how does the law of God, which should govern everything we think, do, and say – how does that pertain to this subject?
0: The law of God has something to say about rest, right? It's one of the big 10 that we should give a day of rest off to the Lord. We should take a a Sabbath, and this has been a principle from creation that's been carried out through all of Genesis history to the time of Christ, when the Sabbath became something of the gospel, not just of the law. And so I think what we see in our culture today is an emphasis on what is missing from the law of God. And we see this often when we don't apply the law of God as it's written by God, we look for substitute laws, right? We look for substitute Lords when we avoid the law and the Lord that's from the scriptures. And so we have a people, a generation, a culture that does not honor Sabbath rest, right? We don't take a day off. We work seven days a week or We take too many days off. We don't work six days a week. And so we have misplaced a proper definition of what rest is. And so we find a whole culture, a whole generation of people who are looking for entertainment as a substitute Sabbath. Or they're looking for uh, the rest or the joy that the Lord could give in his calendar through their own personal vacations, they recognize that there is something wrong with the calendar of their own lives. And so they attempt to put in a trip to Disneyland or a trip to some theme park or a movie or something else that might make up for missing the proper Sabbath of the Lord. But we were made for the Sabbath, right? And so uh, this is something the Lord talks about.
1: And another word that would probably go into all the others I pointed out is vacation. The root of vacation is to vacate something, to to make it empty or to to leave. And I think that too many times we just step into the calendar, as you put it, of a culture that doesn't honor God, and we think that you haven't really lived until you've gone to Europe where you haven't really lived until you've seen this and that we make our experience tantamount to fulfillment.
0: And I think that the that's part of the theological formation that we've had. You know so much of who we are is defined by the things we do. We have found our personal identities in our experiences. And this has been happening to us for uh, just over a generation where we've allowed a basically existential philosophy to form our identity. We've allowed who we call ourselves or what we call ourselves to be defined by our musical tastes, by our entertainment choices, by our experiences. You see, a generation ago, you were defined as a citizen or as a Christian by something that was external to who you were, something that was objective to who you were. How do we know that you are... Andrea Schwartz. Well, you were baptized with a Christian name, and in that baptism, you were given Christ. And so your identity was found in something that was first universal, right? It's something that cannot be described any other way but by the authority of the God who made you. And it was objective. It happened at this one time, and from that point on, that's who you were. And so any time in your life after that, you wonder who I am, What does it mean for me to be this person? You can look back to this single universal objective point and say, my identity is Andrea Schwartz by the value of my baptism, which was done by the sovereign Lord when I was just a child. Now compare that to the modern perspective, which says, you know, I'm really big into Harry Potter or I'm really big on Disney. You know, on the back of my car, all of my license plate frame has this particular character. We begin to define ourselves by genres of music. I'm really into 1950s swing music. Now, all these examples are not necessarily things that I'm into, but we allow our experiences to define who we are. So then if your experiences do define who you are, then this type of epistemology is going to demand that you have new experiences to create who you are. And so Entire industry and entertainment, amusement parks have been set up that you might go and wait in the line for the world to brand you and define you in terms of some pre-existing categories, a a new pseudo-baptism. And so you become a, a Disney freak or you become a Broadway person or you become any type of entertainment and that becomes your identity. And so this generation has been living under that entertainment existential identity And it's become extreme. You can see it now bleeding into every other category. Think about sexual identity. Now it's not enough to be identified as having a sexual perversion like homosexuality. That becomes your new identity because your experiences, sodomy or whatever, become your new identity. And so this is the danger of allowing our experiences define us. It allows us to be humanistic in who we are instead of being made in the image of God, and that being our primary identity.
1: Yes, and you hear people talking in terms of having to find themselves, discovering who they are. And one of the things that's pretty apparent if you read the scripture as it's written is that we're all born with a calling. It's not like, hmm, I wonder what I have to be, or I wonder how I have to relate to this child I just had. Well, if it's a boy child, he's a son. If it's a girl child, she's a daughter they're part of a family. They didn't create the family, they were born into a family, already operational, already objectively there. As you said, it's not a subjective thing. And you think about the 20th century compared to previous times in history, that's when we started having visuals in terms of motion pictures that started in the early 20s. And then come the late 40s, early 50s, we had television. And all of a sudden, people were bringing things into their home or they were going someplace else to experience things that were categorized as, oh, well, we're just, we're doing something for entertainment. And yet the very things that they went to amuse themselves with, very rarely were they saying, is this godly? Is this something I should be putting my attention on? And why do I need to be amused as opposed to why am I not looking at being faithful and responsible?
0: Well, and there's certain things that we think are neutral. All right, this is a favorite word, no neutrality. Uh, but when you, you talk about, is this godly? We tend to think of black and, and white terms of, well, is this have crosses on it? Does it include the gospel? Does it right? But what we fail to see is that when we're talking about amusement or entertainment, that there is something beyond the content that is, needs to be decided whether it's neutral. There's a famous book uh, written several years ago by uh, Neil Postman called Amusing Ourselves to Death. And in this, he talks about how the medium of entertainment, right, whether it's magazines or television or what would soon to be the internet, that this idea of how we consume entertainment is in itself not neutral either right that uh, how we receive news uh, what news we receive are two different things there's one the the content of it the words on the page whether or not the words are true or false whether or not the words are true and godly or false and ungodly but there's also a power of the medium So whether we read it on a newspaper, on a billboard, uh, through a television screen, how we experience information also needs to be decided whether or not it's godly or ungodly. And so this past weekend, as Andrea said, I was in an amusement park with my wife. And there is something very strange about uh, waiting in a line to watch a I don't know how to say this other than a a bastardized version of a a one-and-a-half-hour movie in a two-minute ride. Um, There is something strange that has happened in entertainment where we are attempting not necessarily to recreate the beauty or the quality or the value of that movie, but the ride is attempting to capture something of a nostalgia. So, for example, there's this huge thing in Universal Studios about uh, Harry Potter. Right. And Harry Potter, witchcraft and all this fun stuff. But it has this huge cult following. But if I was a fan of Harry Potter, right, and I read the books and if I watched the movies and I was committed to being one of these Harry Potter fanatics, I would be ashamed of how the amusement park has transformed this into commercialism. Right. For example, you go through and every exhibit is an opportunity to buy a tchotchke right? Uh, an opportunity to buy a piece of memorabilia to say, I was at Harry Potter land in Universal Studios. You know, that's such a strange thing that you want a t-shirt or a keychain to prove that you experienced a resurrection of your favorite book. Uh, that it's very strange to me. But then on the second part, say you really were in love with these books or these movies. Going through and waiting in an hour in a line with decorations about this, and then going through a a two-minute ride where you get a a snapshot of the movie, uh, really destroys the movie. It, It has nothing to do with whatever you valued about the movie. You don't get the story. You don't get the characters. It's this one big entertainment explosion that's attempting to resurrect in your heart this nostalgia inclusion. I experienced this thing. Now, it's very strange to me that our culture has confused experiencing good, true, and beautiful with sharing this cultural idea of we all experience the same regurgitated commercial version of this. I don't know if you've experienced this in other things, but...
1: Well, no, I mean, I really, I'm not a big fan of amusement parks myself, and I know that there are probably people listening who will think that's just terrible. I don't like the way they smell. I don't like big crowds with people who aren't governed the same way I am in terms of right and wrong, what's legitimate, what's illegitimate. So it's an uncomfortable situation, but I really have a difficult time with people who go to certain amusement parks to be scared out of their minds or to have these extreme experiences That, you know, they have to scream and they even have afterwards, you can get a picture of yourself going down this thing screaming and you wonder what's missing in life that you need this kind of excitement to really get your juices going as opposed to working really hard, helping somebody who really needs help because it becomes a form of fulfillment to have these experiences.
0: Right. And uh, the other part of these amusement parks that's really popular is they have photo opportunities, right? We live in a, a social media culture. And I just wonder, you say the photo of everybody coming down the, the roller coaster with their picture of them being scared of their midst. But I wonder if people would still go to these same theme parks if no one knew they went, right? If you couldn't <laughs> tell anybody that you went, would you still go? Or if you couldn't take your phone and take pictures of yourself while you're there, would you still take the pictures? And if you look back a year from now, are you framing those pictures, printing out those pictures, or were those just part of this experience of saying, I went somewhere? Uh, So those are very bizarre things. But I think what's really missing uh, is what C.S. Lewis said, the joy of of Protestantism. There's, There's a joy that is really missing from the life of the American that they're trying to find somewhere else. Um, and unfortunately, most American Christians have put together a picture of, of Christian religion that's not full of joy. Uh, so uh, we have this idea that Christianity is all sanguine or or downcast or hardship, but the reality is the reason why the Reformation was hated by Roman Catholics so much is because there was so much joy in the idea of men leading their families and families individually discipling each other for Jesus Christ. There was too much joy to escape the formality and the rigidity of old religion, too much joy to be trapped in the guilt of priestly confession. There was so much joy in finding freedom to celebrate birthdays, escaping the demands of going to church every single day for mass or every various feast for each saint. Uh, There was so much joy and freedom in Protestantism that it was almost unbelievable that it could be true. And yet today we've fallen into the same trap where we've become too pietistic to be joyful. And What the Protestants were able to do is to bring two things to the front. They said, inside the boundaries of God's law. Now, they're echoing St. James here. Inside the boundaries of God's law, there is liberty. And inside that liberty is true joy. And so, instead of trying to replace God's law with some pseudo-happiness or amusement, there's true joy in finding your purpose, your contentment, your hope, your peace inside of God's law. Now, what's also interesting, I think, about all of this discussion about joy and recreation is the idea that we would go to just a handful of places and all have the same exact experience and expect it to be the same. I think it's really strange that a culture that says find yourself happens to all find themselves in the same theme parks, in the same three genres of music, in the same two clothing lines, in this, right? It's very bizarre that in our independence, we actually find bondage to corporate identity, right? How many of us have seen our children go to find themselves only to be found in the popular agnostic or atheist trends of the day? Uh, So the the reality is there's really no true freedom outside of Christ. Once you leave the joy and the law of Christ, you're going to find yourself bound hand and foot by the kingdoms of Satan, uh, the kingdoms of this world, and the kingdoms of Disney or Warner Brothers. They will define who you are unless you find your identity in Christ.
1: And in truth, it's not to say that there aren't times where you've worked hard or you've been under a lot of stress or you're seeking a time where the family going in different directions can come together and do something together. But that whole idea of recreation, recreation, is to renew you to go back to the purposeful work God has given you. The problem is when the work you do is not looked upon as, I'm doing this for the Lord, and I'm serving in the capacity of being Uh, part of the royal priesthood, no matter where God puts me, and life becomes empty and either trivial or monotonous, people look for that shot in the arm to give them something to look forward to. Well, the whole idea of a Sabbath rest is to rest in the Lord with the Lord's provision for your life. doesn't mean you can't have a good time. It's just that you're not looking for things that will turn off the part of you that you're tired of having to live in. So if that's your ability to reason or your ability to serve, and I'm just tired of that, I've got to find something that gets me totally away from that. I don't think that's a biblical perspective. Do
0: you? I don't think about, think about what we do when we go on these, these trips. I I have in my mind, of course, the, the picture of, of National Lampoon's family vacation, right? I mean, there's, should be a cautionary tale there about the mythology of family amusement parks, but how often are we measuring our culture our, our identity by the uh, output of things right Think about the news of the day right we got're so caught up in twenty four hour news cycles what 's the news for today what 's the news of the hour on Twitter or what 's the trend of this season or this week, or what 's new this week or month on Netflix, so much of our entertainment desires are caught up in output rather than what is significant, right? So there's a real shift in our culture. It used to be the previous generation told us what was classic, what was timeless, what was eternal, what was going to last. And that was the thing that was passed on. Our entire entertainment amusement generation today is chasing after what could be the next thing tomorrow. And I know as you're hearing this, you can think of how many news articles you'll read this week about what is the next Facebook, what is the next Uber, what is... We're chasing after what's next because we're not content with what we have today.
1: And I actually think those who pursue the latest news, whether it's from the conservative bent or the liberal bent or whatever it is, that actually becomes a form of amusement. In other words, they're amusing themselves. The definition that you get from Webster's 1828, which I like to go back to, is that which amuses, detains, or engages the mind, entertainment of the mind, pastime, a pleasurable occupation of the senses, or that which furnishes it. So I'm not saying there isn't any place to enjoy good music, going to a concert, going out to a dance or dancing, if you enjoy dancing, going to the beach, going to a ball game. But when that becomes the thing that makes everything else worth it, then I think we've been skewed in terms of why are we here? What is man's chief end? To be amused? To have a good time? That's really not what the catechism states.
0: And the catechism says to... To enjoy God, right? To, to, to serve Him, to love Him, to find your comfort in Him. These are the, you know, between Westminster and uh, the Heidelberg, you'll find those are the things. They're all focused on identity or pleasure or love or purpose inside of God. Now, what I think is interesting from a religious perspective, coming from a liturgical tradition, one of the kind of criticisms that we get for church is it's the same thing every week. Somebody comes up, they sing some songs that you've heard before, you do a sermon on a scripture you've heard before, and it's kind of monotonous, right? Uh, Even more so in the Anglican world where there's sometimes the same prayers being prayed every week. But how is it interesting that folks will binge watch the same movie over and over again? Uh, They'll find The Princess Bride, a movie I do not understand the cult following for at all, and they'll watch the movie for the you know umpteenth time for the purpose of quoting the words in the movie is that really amusement to go through and repeat some uh, you know written script some other time uh, how is it that our culture has conditioned us to think i will go down this roller coaster 10 times and then i'll come back in 6 months do the same roller coaster another 10 times and then if they have a new roller coaster i'm going to do that one another 10 times how does this amusement and repetition work Uh, in our culture.
1: In Philippians, I believe it is, we're told the things to think about whatever is pure, whatever is right. And there's no reason not to experience godly rest in the things we enjoy. But if at their core, they're meaningless or nonsense. I, I know so many people who say, yeah, I just love mindless dribble. Sometimes at the end of the day, that's what I need. Well, they should reflect on what the whole day was about if at the end of the day they need mindless dribble,
0: What I think we have to be careful of is in the last 100 years, in the last century, we talk about the media and we talk about amusement. So much has changed. So much of our culture has been both fractured and siloized, right? We're able to get every bit of entertainment as an individual, and while those things in and of themselves might be holy or good, you might be watching a Christian movie or broadcasting a live streamed worship service. What they might do is fracture the, the tribal identities we have as Christians. You know, the Bible says not to forsake the gathering, right? So we have to be careful that we don't allow our amusement to give us the ability to try to find meaning in ourselves you know the lord gave a body of believers and so one of the the temptations and entertainment and amusement is to find your fulfillment in your own pleasure right Uh, we can see this of course in, in sexual things through entertainment mediums but you know there are grown men who go to disneyland disneyland by themselves for the day they go and they experience television shows by themselves in front of an iPad for the day. They go to movie theaters by themselves by the day. One of the amusement temptations is to allow what is being consumed to separate us from other people, Uh, even as far as genres. I only like this kind of content, or I only like this genre of music. We allow these technological advances to break down the natural structures, whether they be a the family or the society or the church, the government. We allow digital and new technologies of amusement to separate us from meaningful interactions. It used to be a time when you had to go into a theater of people to watch a movie. or It used to be a time you had to go into a restaurant to enjoy a amusing dinner, right? But now you can just bring it straight to your house through DoorDash or straight to your bedroom through your iPad. Uh, there's a temptation that as we move away from the necessity of having human interactions directly, that they will become less and less part of our life and detract from what the gospel is calling us to do with the gathering of people.
1: And then we can have a pseudo-fellowship. You know, fellowship was a term that usually was reserved for the meeting of the faithful, the congregation of the faithful. I know that there was a whole period of time in television programs where everybody who worked together, socialized together, they sometimes shared living situations together. And it was though what was being promoted is that life is wherever you go to work. In contrast to earlier television that had family settings and things that were happening in families. Well, eventually they did return to the family, but they were very dysfunctional families. Families that had problems and we were supposed to laugh at one Member or part of the family than another. And so I think it's a a really important thing for all of us to individually say, where are we spending time? Where, Where are our eyes spending time? Where are our ears spending time? And can we honestly say that if somehow or other God were right in front of us, which of course he is, and ask, are you using the time I gave you wisely? Do you know why you're doing this? Can you support what you're doing in terms of what the Bible says? Well, for people who take God's word seriously, this would be a good exercise. There are a lot of people who don't think the Bible is anything more than a bunch of suggestions or maybe myths or maybe good old wise sayings that may or may not pertain to you. But for people who strive to be faithful, we really have to say, is God pleased even with what we do when we're not actively doing the work we've called to do?
0: Correct. and. I think another practical way to work through amusement is to begin to honor the, the day of rest. Uh, you know, Both the confession and the, the catechism talk about how it is that you honor the Lord's day. And I really think that so much of our culture's issue is that we do not recognize a separation between our consumption of goods and entertainment and media and our uh, desire to work, right? They're they're almost connected in our minds. We we work for six days so that we can buy things to consume. We have this cyclical pattern and we refuse to even break now because we are fearful that we won't be able to consume more. Right? How many individuals have I talked to who are afraid of taking Sunday away from their work week? Because how in the world will I be able to pay for my you know various expenses, my various consumables? But so much of What was healthy about Christian living was that the family did have a day where Johnny and Sally couldn't go to sports, they couldn't go to uh, recreation, they couldn't go to work or jobs or out to eat, because everybody took the day off. And that provided a cohesive time of, of rest and perhaps even family amusement this contributed to the integration rather than disintegration of the family. And there's really no time in church history when the Sabbath has been so disregarded as it is to today. So if a family is is really concerned about uh, amusement and entertainment and false pseudo-relaxation and rest, we need to go back to God's law and begin by honoring the Sabbath. And some of those practical things are refusing to, to use the Sabbath as a day of commerce, refusing to use the Sabbath as a day for ba- baseball, basketball, league sports, and return back to what the Sabbath is for, and the public and private exercises of worship.
1: I think there's a good case to be made for whatever is the focal point of your week is the thing that is most important to you. What do you work around? And so for. A long time it was Sunday. We talked about Sunday clothes. We talked about church clothes. We talked about gathering together for that central thing. Well, today is it the school, so you see, or the work week, business, commerce, where you see calendars, no, in many cases, are no longer Sunday through Saturday, but they're Monday. They start with Monday. Maybe people don't realize it, but a lot of aspects of our lives are focused around something, and it would be a really good thing to know what your life is focused around.
0: I think that's really important. And uh, again, the charge of of keeping that focus is to families, to what the Catechism says is governors of families, that's fathers, and, and this responsibility to ensure uh, that there is a healthy joy and uh, relaxation, recreation, healthy rest in your family. And the Lord has given the means and the commandments for that rest.
1: And just by way of addition, even one of the tithes, the rejoicing tithe, was deliberately in place so that people would rejoice before the Lord. You could have called that a time of amusement, but the focus wouldn't be on the Pirates of the Caribbean or Harry Potter or Mickey Mouse. It would be on celebrating our identity in Christ. So how we rest says a lot about who we belong to.
0: Right. And how we view that rest. Uh, is, Is it a burden to have to take the Sabbath off or is it a blessing? I mean, As much as I love making plans with parishioners and with friends and family, nothing feels better than really canceling plans and knowing that I have no obligations for that day. Anybody who has a a full-time job or a bunch of children at home, when I say you have no obligations, you don't have to go to the grocery store, you don't have to go to the office depot, you don't have to go to the office or anything like that, as soon as you are removed from all of those external obligations, there should be a joy that you're resting there. But yet so many of us look at the Sabbath as... I have to take a day off or make, move my plans around. The Lord has given you a day off. Use it as an excuse to the other commitments and things that are calling on your life, saying, the Lord has called me to honor this day. Let's cancel those plans.
1: And in closing, I should say, since we're all about reconstructing our lives in terms of God's word with the understanding that we are victorious in Christ, we should make use of the tools He has given us, His commandments, in order to achieve that victory. So the victory won't come apart from doing what God says to do and how we're supposed to do what He says to do. Amen. Thank you, listeners. We got a couple of suggestions in email this week on future topics that were requested, and we will get to them. And we thank you for sending them in. For those of you who would like shot at why don't you guys talk about this write to us at out of the question podcast at gmail.com i'll talk to you next time
0: all right thank you andrew thanks for listening to out of the question for more information on this and other topics please visit calcedon.edu